So Dale will be gone uh, to Montana for the next uh, few weeks, so I'm going to fill in a little bit. You know, last week he talked about, so right now we're talking about developing self-control. And last week what Dale covered was progressive evaluation and not self-control, but God control. And basically what those two things are talking about is kind of a progressive or moving a little bit at a time to developing self-control. And then the other part, of course, is you know not trying to do it on your own, but um, doing it with God's help. Tonight we're going to look at four more categories, and that's the replacement method, the 12-step program, working big, working small to big, and then relying on God's protection. So the first thing we're going to look at is the replacement method. In other words, we're going to look at basically if you uh, are trying to move from one behavior to another, it's best to replace. Like if you're moving from a bad behavior to a good behavior, you want to replace the bad with the good. Hey there. There you go. Thank you. We see this captured in Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll just read through this, beginning in verse 21. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth to one another, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. How is that? So the replacement says, if you want to change your behavior and you want to be effective at it, you need to replace bad behavior with good behavior. Just stopping behavior typically isn't enough. I think we see this with our kids when you're raising the kids. If you want them to change direction, you need to give them a different direction to be on. Um, just telling somebody to stop doing something typically is only good for a certain point. Um, doing specific tasks will reinforce the behavior and make it more habitual for us to do in the, in the future. That habitual part is important. Um, habits don't take a lot of thought. They typically don't take a lot of effort when they truly become habits. They, they become second nature, and that's what we want to try to get to, especially with self-control. We need to recognize bad behavior before it happens, which strengthens our conscience. Uh, this kind of goes along with what we've been studying about uh, before. And looking at this in Ephesians 4, the highlights are uh, 
the method of self-control, we lay aside falsehood and we speak truth. In other words, if you're going to stop lying, you've got to replace it with something. Uh, that's kind of obvious, I know, but it's worth noting. We're told to stop stealing and we're told to work for a living instead. And even further than that, not just work for a living, but provide for somebody else. That's a big, big difference than just stealing for yourself and, be, and having that kind of a selfish attitude. You see, in verse 29, we're to stop using unwholesome words and instead use words of encouragement and edification. Uh, how many times have you been around somebody that just everything out of their mouth was either negative or profane and it kind of drove you crazy and you knew that that's probably the only thing they were ever exposed to. It's probably the only thing that they had in their vocabulary. And it's really unfortunate, but really it's a lesson for all of us that if we want to stop speaking poorly or in a negative way, we need to replace it with something positive. We're to remove bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice, and be kind to one another and be tender-hearted and forgiving. Um, for some people, this is a big change. Um, if you really are kind of a negative, mean-spirited person, to move to being forgiving and looking out for somebody else, that's a big change to make. But if you want to develop self-control, those are the kind of changes that you have to have in your life. I don't think you could do that if you didn't realize that God in Christ has forgiven us so much. If you didn't know God, you didn't know the Savior, uh, you couldn't do that. You're right. And I think that's why it's a little disheartening when you see that kind of attitude from people in the church. Yeah. Because they should know Christ. They should know what He gave up and, and how He was and how He lived His life as an example for us. And if you don't see that displayed in somebody's life that um, professes to be a Christian, um, that's extra hard to take. The next thing we're going to cover is the 12-step program. And let me say a word about this. You might be wondering, why are we covering the 12-step program in a Bible class? Recall now, this is a practical living Bible class. Um, it's the things that hopefully you can take and use them every day is you have a need. And the 12-step program is one of those things that I want to cover. Um, I will tell you that the elders had some debate on this, whether we were going to touch on it or not. But um, <clears throat> I've read through the information, I've read through the data, and hopefully with what I share from you will, will be noteworthy in your own mind. The 12-step program is used by organizations like Alcoholics Anonymous and other rehabilitation programs to help addicts change their addictive behaviors. Surprisingly enough, this 12-step program <coughs> does rely a lot on God. Uh, you would think a program like this would be based on improving yourself, concentrating on yourself only, and making those kind of improvements to put away bad behavior. But when you look through a lot of the data on this, you'll see that there's a lot of focus on you have to rely on a higher authority. And it does reference God in a few occasions. The focus with this program is not really what the person can do for themselves, but on what you can do by relying on something like God or a higher power. We see this in Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord. Do not lean on your own understanding. Uh, if we're going to go it alone in life, whether that's to go up against Satan or whether it's to go up against the sin we see in the world, it's going to be a tough go. 
The focus of this, this program takes control of your life again. It's meant to take control of your life again, which is basically what we're studying about when we discuss self-control. In this case, the program is focused on recovering from addiction, but there is also valuable insights to be learned to gain control of your life, even if you're not addicted to a substance. It should be noted that addiction can be described as a habit that has been taken to an extreme. So, you know, a minute ago I talked about the positive aspects of a habit, and obviously uh, there are the, the, the detrimental aspects of, of well, you know, having habits. What you said about either bad language or uh, uh, just a sour personality or always pessimistic, that really is an addiction. It, they, it is. they just started practicing a little more and a little more and a little more until it just becomes who they are, yep. just an addiction. That's true. Mm -hmm. And you know, typically we think of addiction as something really, really bad, yeah. alcohol, drugs, uh -huh. um, you know, pornography, um, uh -huh. but addictions, there's a lot of addictions that, food, food addictions, um, other things that are detrimental to you, but maybe not as devastating as like alcohol or drugs or something like that. Um, but yeah, controlling addictions but it's as, is a big challenge. Distasteful to God. They all are. Because to Him, sin is sin. Yep. And we need to realize that we can have addictions that society says, well, you know, that's okay. But I agree. to God is not. I agree. You know, as we looked at the 12 step program, I saw some data that it, you know, it originated back in about 1938. Um, I'm not sure how valid that is. I didn't find anything else to dispute it. Um, there's different references about 12-step program based on what website you look, like, look at. If it's a food addiction, if it's an alcohol addiction, they might have a little bit different spin on this. Um, but several of the websites do reference um, the Bible, you know, along with the 12 steps. Uh, in researching this, found that Psalms 51 tied closely to the 12 steps, and that's what we're going to look like, look at uh, going forward here. So here's the 12 steps. Of course, the number is the step itself, and then um, in the blue font is. Uh, the passage from Psalms, um, and we're going to read a few of these, I've got kind of flagged a few to read. The second one, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Um, in Psalms 51 verses 1 and 2 it says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Um, it's a good tie-in as to the importance of a higher authority being able to take away the addictions or the sins that we have in our life. Um, the fourth one, made a searching and <coughs> moral inventory of ourselves. Um, verse 3 of 51 in Psalms, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. I think any addiction, if you're going to try to shake it, get rid of it, you're going to have to know it, know what it is. Um, some, for some people, that's easy. For some, that's not so easy. Um, number eight. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. found this one interesting. In verse 4 of Psalm 51, Against you, you only I have sinned, 
and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. In verse 16 it says, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. So what does this mean? I, in Psalms, it's recognizing that the sin you commit is against God. Um, and you have to be able to own up to that to get past that sin. And it does tie with this bullet number eight on, um, on the 12-step program. Um, the delighting in sacrifice or not delighting in sacrifice, sacrifice alone is, is bad. If you don't have anything to go along with your sacrifice, um, you, you might as well not offer a sacrifice. And basically, that's what the writer of Psalms is saying. It's like just going through an emotion or a habit. You know, some people are in the habit of worshiping. Just like going to work every day, just in the habit. <clears throat> Getting up and it's just going through emotions. Yep. No, that's true. And I think you really see that with some addictions. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a part of their day that they really don't think about what they're doing. It's just, um, like, it's kind of like time for lunch. If you're hungry or not, you know, it's time for lunch, so I eat lunch. You know, what sense does that make? Not a lot, you know, if you really don't need the food, but um, that's kind of the way we, we gear ourselves sometimes. You're right, Sheila. Um, and number 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. In verse 12 of Psalm 51, it says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me uh, with a willing spirit. Um, again, I think this is important if, uh, if really you're going to have prayer and meditation to, uh, to improve yourself, uh, you have to have that willing spirit. Mm -hmm. You have to be seeking out that restoration uh, from God. Was this actually word for word what the 12th step is? The, I believe so. To italicize, uh, understand him, understood him. So we understood him. So this is like number eleven on the twelfth step, and then this is Psalm fifty-one twelve. And right. Blue italics. That's. But was there a song. reason why you you italicized understood him? Because we should all understand God the same way. You know what? So I did a copy and paste out of the material I was okay. using. That's and that's the way it had this. I see where you're going with that. Um, no real reason other than that's the material that I was using. Okay. Dave? Yeah? Would you mind backing up to number one? Sure. Because wow. um, we're not really powerless over sin. That sin is a choice. So maybe, on the twelfth step, on the twelfth step, number yeah. one, it says we admitted we were powerless over sin, that our lives had become unmanageable. Um, Perhaps for an addict, and, they feel that way. Well, that's why we have God in our Christ in our lives. Yeah, but for us, we're not powerless. Sin is a choice for us. It, it's a choice, but I think sometimes when you, if if sin becomes an addiction, you lose some of your power. You've given up your power from God, and you've let the addiction rule your life, and I think that that's where this is going. Go ahead. I was going to say, we are powerless over sin without Christ. All, all sin. That's just a fact. But once we accept Christ in our lives, 
and we are baptized, we then have some power over sin, but we're able to manage. But whenever we lose focus on God and the things that are we don't have control over, we give that power over to it willingly because we're not focusing on Christ anymore. The moment that we stop having Christ in our lives and we stop focusing on Him, we give our power over to sin. We give our power over to the thing, alcoholism, food, depression, whatever it might be. Yes, it's a choice, but we, we give our power. We become powerless to it because we push Christ out. Good point. I think you have to recognize there's a balance here from a worldly perspective, a human philosophy or human wisdom perspective, and a godly perspective. And the balance here that I'm trying to make on, the, on sharing the 12-step program with you is that, one, oftentimes people need professional counseling to get through a difficult place in their life. Not all professional counseling is good, it's not all bad. If you look at the background on some data or something that some psychotherapist or psychologist is pushing, it might be very negative against God. God's too limiting. The Bible's too limiting. You don't need that. Um, I would shy away from something like that. This program, at least from what we see, doesn't seem to be geared that way. It makes references to a higher authority. It makes references to God specifically. Um, and like I said, we found multiple websites, and I have some other verses that go along with this, but I just, to limit for time, I just stayed with Psalm 51. There are other verses in both New Testament and Old Testament that were linked in different websites to each one of these 12 steps. So if you look at this program alone, there can be value in this, and you might know somebody, or you might yourself run across for, uh, a time in your life where you're using the 12-step program. And I guess what we're trying to say here from a practical standpoint in developing self-control, something like this may be beneficial. It might not be bad. Some things that counselors put out uh, is awful scary. It's awful negative against a higher authority like God. You know, <coughs> that brought to mind because we are, God says that we all, no matter how hard we try, we still all sin. We are sinners. And uh, <clears throat> I have a good friend back home who is, uh, uh, well, he's, he doesn't call himself an alcoholic. He said he was drunk. Uh, he has not had a drink probably in close to 40 years. But he still calls himself, he still considers himself an alcoholic. Uh, you don't get away from it. We don't get away from sin. We're we're always right. going to be sinners. We just do our best to not get into it. Right. And like like my friend, he has not had a drink in like I said, probably close to forty years. But um, he still considers himself an alcoholic. Yeah, I appreciate your comments because I have a friend in the same kind of situation. Um, I've known this guy for forty plus years, probably 42, 45 years. When I met him, he was already in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I would say that he's been in the program almost 50 years. Mm -hmm. He's 15 years older than I am. Um, he considers AA 
a religion. Now we've had some conversations about that and gotten nowhere with him. He won't see the, he recognizes the value of God, but he sees what he's doing through this program is a godly based activity, a godly based control mechanism. But he probably has a different motive too. He, yeah. Probably family. He does. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, he's yeah. and so. second, second wife, first wife because of his alcohol, you know, it's gone. Um, so he has a lot at stake, but he hasn't had a drink in over 40 years. He goes to AA meetings every week, and not to go for basically just for himself, but to help others. That's what my friend, but my friend is Christian. He fortunately uh, gives the credit to God. I mean, he, he does all this, okay. but uh, he is a Christian. And that's where I met him at church. And uh, he, he goes, uh, anybody that needs him anytime, they'll call him day or night. Yeah. And I'm sure your friend does the same does because the same that they know how strong that is. And as Christians, we should, and I'm sure most of us are willing to do the same. If somebody called you at 2 o'clock in the morning and said, Dave, I really need to talk to you, you would go. Uh, same as, right. you know, uh, we, we have that obligation the same as they do. And the elders have had that occasion with individuals in the church that have called up. I'm struggling with this. I need to talk. I need yeah. help. And two, three, four of us will go out there and talk with them. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's it's always good for both sides. Yeah. I think it's unfortunate that we don't take more advantage of that. Yeah. It kind of goes with confessing our sins one to another. Confessing our sins to most of us is like, I'm going to sit down and tell you all the bad things that I do with my bad thoughts. I look at confessing sins as I'm having a weakness in my life that I'm struggling with. It might, it might take me away from or reduce my um, performance to God, mm -hmm. and I need to share that with somebody. I need some help with that. And to me, that's some something that I don't think that we share that quite often enough. Uh, I think we don't like to admit that we have this weakness. No. And that in itself is a weakness. That's true. Very true. The last thing that I have here, I have a disclaimer here, because we are recording this. Um, and the disclaimer is simply that the elders of Monte Vista believe that the Bible will give you everything that you need. Every help, um, every how-to to get through life, to make you a better person, to help develop self-control. Um, but we'd also recognize that there's other, that there's other ways and means that the world might use. Um, is that what it is? Okay. Uh, to kind of make that happen. It's fireworks. So, we keep hearing the boom. Okay. Next. Moving from small to big. This is kind of a building process. Um, it, it's not... It's not real deep. It's not highly technical. Uh, but, but it's worth noting. Too often we feel defeated in life, both physically and spiritually, because we try to do too much at one time. I think most every Christian can, can recognize that, uh, and really not even if you're Christian, I mean, life is tough and we get overwhelmed at times. We should uh, keep in mind the wisdom in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, and we're not going to read all this because we just looked at it Sunday, but um, what this lays out is in verse 3, um, it talks about self-control, and before self-control, I mean, this is like a building block of what you're going to need uh, to be stronger spiritually. You start out with faith, you go to moral excellence, 
you have knowledge, you have self-control, and so on and so forth. Um, and that's what's captured there. We should look at spiritual growth as a process. And we see this from the physical side. We see this from either a baby <coughs> being born, how they mature, how they develop. Um, we're seeing this in the church right now, right here. We see this young men that we've seen growing up in the church uh, that have been baptized, and now they're developing their skills, they're, they're leading prayers, they're giving invitations, mm -hmm. things of that nature. They're developing those skills, and that's that building, that building process. Um, we can typically see that from a physical nature. Sometimes we can see that uh, when somebody develops, but sometimes I'm not sure that we see it uh, spiritually. Uh, in Hebrews 5, verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need of them for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. There's a progression of growth that we need to go through. Um, you're not going to be, typically you're not going to just come to know the Lord and then uh, be able to teach somebody else. It, there's a learning process you're, you're going to go through. And I think we need to recognize how important that is. And I think we need to look at self-control the same way. Um, we shouldn't get over our heads with things that uh, might overwhelm us and, and make us feel defeated. There's several things that self-control requires. Knowledge, maturity, and discipline is just a few. Um, we should work on these basic building blocks um, to face the most challenging things in life. Um, you have to respect the self-control that Joseph had and even with Potiphar's wife, and again, we're not going to read all this because we just use this as an example. But I really do love this example. It's in Genesis 39 and verse 9. Joseph says, how then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Of course, Joseph is saying this about Potiphar's wife. She was pursuing him sexually. And um, <coughs> not only did he know this was wrong, and he, he stayed away from it, but you know, you look at his level of admission as to how this was wrong. It wasn't wrong for just him. It wasn't wrong because it was she was married. It was wrong because it was against God. Um, Joseph didn't just get this way on his own. It just didn't come overnight. It probably didn't. It came probably from some period of time of growth, of learning, of gathering knowledge um, to get to that level. The, the, the simple fact that he just stated this was be against God shows you the maturity of Joseph. Another illustration is in 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation is overtaking you, but such is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Uh, we use this verse a lot. It's very familiar with us. God knows our capabilities, and we need to trust that. Um, I think this applies to self-control also. Um, if God knows our capabilities, He's not going to put something before us that we can't handle. And that's different if, if I'm a new person in Christ, or if I've been in Christ for 50, 60 years. So this is kind of a I look at it as a, as a two-edged sword. Um, as you go through life as a Christian, as you mature as a Christian, you should be able to handle more adversity, more temptation, 
uh, more of what the world throws at you. And if you're not, it's probably because you're not growing uh, at, at the rate you should. We need to trust in God that He'll take care of us. And too often, I don't think we really do trust in Him. Too often, we, on this one at least, we try to go it alone. We get overwhelmed, and then we become negative. Um, and then all that leads us to basically doing nothing. Uh, because we just feel that we can't, we can't overcome sin, we can't compete with uh, whatever we're struggling with, and uh, we shouldn't look at it that way. And even what's more than that, uh, there's a way of escape. Sometimes I think that we don't have the maturity to see that um, there is a way to escape temptation. And we need to have that. And that this temptation is not going to be with us permanently. There is a way through it. There is. Uh, you know, that is so sad about all the teen suicides we hear about. They are not mature enough to realize that this, as the saying is, this too shall pass. Yeah. Uh, they just think it's going to be a permanent thing and they can't handle it. Uh, they just are not mature enough. They they don't know God enough to I know that. That's a, whole, that's a whole social conversation yeah. that, um, mm -hmm. you know, if you got me rolling, I, we'd be here all night on that one. Um, because to me, all the things that we're seeing in the world, the unfortunate things, um, the shootings, the public shootings, um, suicides by mm -hmm. teenagers, um, abortion, the level of abortion that we're having now, all mm -hmm. these things, you know, you, if you listen to the world, they assign something that's causing this or something that we have to control. And really, they've missed the whole point of it. The root issue is we're a society that doesn't know God. We don't respect God. We don't have a respect for a higher authority. So we're in the second, third generation of this developing, and now it's really become a real problem. So again, uh, temptation can be isolating. If we're facing it alone, we need to remember that God's with us. Um, we need to believe that God knows our limits. Um, we need to recognize and believe that there's another way out. Um, and if we do these things, I think that um, we'll be able to handle the adversities of life as they come our way much easier. And also, it should help us develop self-control. The last section we want to talk about is to rely on God's protection. <coughs> If we're to rely on God's protection, we need to make God the center of everything that we do in life. Godly attitudes points to protecting us from the world. It's more than just words. It must be an integral part of our lives. I wrote down three people that just came to mind when I was thinking about this. Daniel was one of these guys. Um, he, he never wavered. I mean, he was in a foreign land. Uh, he was facing some higher authorities that um, was trying to pull him away from what he was raised with. And he never wavered. He stayed with what he knew. Nehemiah was another one, devoted to God, wanted to do uh, right by God, and he did right by God. And I had David as a third. As awkward as that might sound with uh, what David pulled with Bathsheba and all that afterwards, um, you, you have to look at David's life as a whole. David was a man after God's own heart. And he always repented. And he always repented. Galatians 3.27 for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. 
this idea of clothing ourselves with Christ. We're, we're fully embracing Christ in his ways. We're wrapping his manners around us. We're covering ourselves with him. We're immersing ourselves in Christ's teaching. You know, I mean, as silly as this sounds, none of us will go out of the house with no clothes on. Too often we'll go out of the house, we'll go in public, we'll face Satan without, without God, without Jesus. Um, we do that quite often, unfortunately, and um, we're going to get ourselves in trouble when we do that every time. So what are we putting on when we clothe ourselves in Jesus? Um, Ephesians 4, 22-24 uh, points some of these things out. Um, righteousness, holiness, uh, truth. Um, and then going back to what we were talking about from working small to big, um, to put on these godly attributes, and Ephesians here says, first you have to put aside your old self. You can't have it both ways. You can't, you can't have sin and corruption and then try to have righteousness and truth. Maybe the most familiar to us is uh, the armor of God. Um, in Romans 13, 12, this is just highlighted, lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now, what does the armor of light do? Well, it shines, it shows the way, um, it shows others who we are, you know, all those things. But a more complete list is found, of course, in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist evil and resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So what's this all about when it comes to self-control? Well, What's God's armor here? God's armor is standing firm against the devil. Um, it enables us to resist evil. His armor is truth and righteousness, and that keeps us from being led astray. Um, God's armor is preparation of the gospel, which we stand confidence against the temptations of the world. God's armor is faith that is not easily swayed by temptation. God's armor is the salvation we enjoy through Christ and should give us confidence. Do we, do we rely on all this? You know, admittedly, I think we do from time to time, or we take bits and pieces as we need them. And a soldier wouldn't go into battle with bits and pieces of his armor on. And I think too often we get ourselves in a bind with God. We, we find ourselves succumbing to Satan because we only have part of our armor on. And... If we're going to develop self-control, remember, we're going to back here, this is what we're talking about, developing self-control. We won't get there if we don't have the armor of God. Um, in other words, with God on our side, self-control, I'm not going to say it should be easy, but it shouldn't be something that we work so hard at. 
You know, I think a lot of times about this, uh, <coughs> that where our, our battle is not against uh, the rulers, but against the forces of darkness and, and, the, and the powers that the forces of darkness have. And a lot of times when I go to bed and I think, you know, here I am, this little woman, I'm by myself here, and, and, I, and I think of this verse and I think of all that's out there, the evil that's, that, you know, just maybe is in, in the room with me. Yeah. But then there's that peace that I just, it just sort of feels like a blanket over me. Uh, and and this works. It's, it just makes our lives so much better. And I can just peacefully go to sleep. You know, just don't worry about what's out there. God's going to take care of it. You're right. And it was interesting studying this list and really kind of looking at it again. You know, in verse 12, it talks about rulers and powers. Mm -hmm. Well, in Colossians 1.16, Jesus created rulers and powers. Mm -hmm. And in Colossians 2.10, Jesus is the head of rulers and powers, mm -hmm. you know, and, and too often we think that the ruling class in society uh, is what we are supposed to be loyal to, uh, and, and that's not the case. And if we don't have our armor on to ward off that kind of thing, um, we might fall to sin, we might fall into temptation. And I think we need to recognize that Jesus really is in control of all that. In James 4 and 7, it says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Uh, I, hope we, I hope we really believe that. I hope we put that in play in our lives. And if we really do, I think that um, developing self-control won't be um, such a stretch for us. And that's what I have for you guys. So, Sunday we're going to start with um, helpful attitudes of developing self-control. So we're going to cover some different attitudes like self-sacrifice, self-denial, things of that nature, and I'll kind of go through the information now. So that's what we'll be looking at on Sunday. So thank you very much for being here tonight. Appreciate it. Thank you.